Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everyone, Gabby here. And I'm Brenna. And welcome to the Mystery of Everything podcast. Okay, so I'm Gabby. As you guys know, I'm a scientist and I'm here with my friend Brenna, who is also a scientist. And I tend to lean towards more of the scientific, critical aspect of things. And Brenna is more of the cryptid and like more receptive to the fun stuff exactly and I think we try to balance each other out so each of us will be presenting different topics in our own unique styles and hopefully you guys enjoy so today's episode I this weekend Stephen literally went into a rant on Elizabeth Bathory and that led me down another rabbit hole of my own on Zero killers, essentially. Well, Elizabeth Bathory specifically, because she does have the title of the most prolific serial killer in history. I am so pumped for this. Okay, so I know nothing about Elizabeth Bathory. I don't know anything. She sounds classy. Yeah, like most prolific female female serial killer. Yeah, that's that's a big title. I mean, not like the serial killer title sounds classy, but just Elizabeth Bathory. That sounds like a classy name. Oh yeah, she. Um, she was important. You'll, she was a noble, essentially. You'll see. She had her own castle. It was fun. What? Yeah, you'll, she's, she's something. <laughs> Why am I so excited? <laughs> but anyway, this episode doesn't just stop with her. I continue to dig deeper. And if there's anything mildly similar in history, like I, just, I spent seven hours basically diving into Renfield syndrome, which if you don't know what that is, Guys, it's going to blow your freaking mind. It's sort of like a really weird mystery, but not really a mystery. A psychologist got bored, essentially. So that movie that just came out with, who is in it? Nicolas Cage? It's called Renfield. Nicholas Holt. That's who's in it? Yeah. I'm pretty Nicholas sure. But Holt. essentially it's... But is that like the same? I'm going to Google it. But is that like, it's Renfield and it's vampires. I'm assuming that it's has... Dracula. Some- yep. Renfield, you'll see, it's a very common trope when thinking of vampires and Dracula. It's a whole, it's all interconnected, essentially. Oh, it's got Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Okay. Because Nicholas Holt, I think, was Renfield. Yeah, and Dracula's Nicholas Cage. I'm going to have to watch that now. They popped up a ton during my research. But if you guys have never heard of Renfield Syndrome, guys, this is the podcast episode for you. And it, it has everything. Serial killers vampires. And when I say vampires, I don't mean the sparkly romance novel, like we all want our own vampire type of vampires. I'm talking Helsing abridged will murder you and every single person that you love. And if you haven't seen Helsing ultimate, then stop what you're doing and go watch. Wait, no, Mm. don't, don't stop listening to this. Watch it after. 
(laughs) (laughs) So let's jump into it. I'm going to give a brief description of vampirism. And then from there, we're just going to look at his practice throughout history, which fair warning will probably be very disturbing. And if that's not your thing, well, it's not mine either. So let's just suffer through it together. Thank you. Trigger warning. Skip on to the next one. Yeah, it's going to have a lot of gory graphic detail. So just a heads up. I'm ready. Renfield syndrome, aka vampirism, is a disease that's literally based on Dracula. In fact, the name Renfield is that of a background character of Bram Stoker's 1897, Dracula. The character is mentally ill and is confined, but telepathically communicates with Dracula. Spoilers. How? Who is this? 1897, (laughs) Brenna. I literally, okay, so last week I bought the book Dracula and I was like, yeah, I'm going to read this book. And she's like, don't read it until after the episode. And now ruined it, ruined the whole thing. I'm sure there's stuff in there that is not in here. I'm sure there's (laughs) other things like Dracula. I haven't mentioned him. Are you going to? No. (laughs) I don't really care about Dracula, I'll be honest. I guess I can let it slide. Okay. So the only problem we have here in this episode so far is that Renfield syndrome isn't even real. It was documented in scientific literature. Yes, but it was done so as a joke. And unfortunately, it became a joke that literally snowballed out of hand because you would not believe the amount of literal scientific journal articles that cited Renfield's syndrome in their sources. So we're going to dig deeper into how this happened. So Renfield syndrome is vampires. That's just a fancy way of saying it. Well, it's vampirism. It's people who practice vampirism. And you'll see it spans into like a large community because there is a large community of people who consensually. So is practicing vampirism like drinking blood? What yes. is that? I mean, it involves drinking blood and being a vampire. But in the sense of being a vampire, as in you can shapeshift into a bat and fly no. away? Okay. No. I mean, I'm sure some people will stick to that story. But okay. the majority of people do just enjoy doing vampire things. Just drinking some blood. All right. You do you, baby. But I'm going to get into exactly how Renfield syndrome was created and then kind of adopted by pop culture and then people who were into vampirism itself. Basically, I found the creator of this syndrome, like a paper and a presentation that he did in like 2016. And he tells you exactly how it happened. I mean, it got so out of hand that anytime people saw shady stuff on the Internet that involved like vampire stuff on the news, they immediately rushed to the comments to diagnose the person with Renfield syndrome. Like check TikTok comments on anything that could potentially look like, you know, a vampire and it'll have someone in there quoting an article on Renfield syndrome. It's, it's great. Maybe they're just emo. <laughs> Maybe they are. <laughs> It's a vibe. But let's picture this. It's the early 90s. Psychologist Richard Knoll just left his job as a psychologist at a hospital and decided to become an author of horror novels. Pretty normal thing. That's what I'd do if I had to do a job. He said that he needed a break from his job and that he had, at the time, like a really difficult time handling his work-life balance, his patients, because they were very violent. I mean, the type of hospital he worked at, you definitely see it. Luckily for him, he found that he was able to be a prolific writer and was able to write a paperback book in just 10 days. So he found success (laughs) immediately. He used his knowledge of psychiatry and medical literature, though, to write about monsters. And his books typically centered around vampirism, lycanthropy, which is werewolves, and demon possession. 
And one of the books that he decided to write was called Vampires, Werewolves, and Demons, a 20th century report on psychiatric literature. He convinced a psychoanalytical publisher to take a chance on his book, and that is how we get Renfield Syndrome. The timing on his book was perfect. The 80s were a time where American mental health professionals were literally scrambling. They were all trying to learn the DSM-3, which was a new way of categorizing how they spoke about mental illnesses. The new DSM removed psychoanalytic theory and all Freudian terms and introduced the DSM checklist as replacement. So basically, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I know it all too well. <laughs> Me too, honestly. <laughs> but before this was introduced, they were just going off of psychoanalytic. Basically, they didn't have like a solid diagnosis, like method of diagnosis that everyone kind of used. So it was the guidebook for classifying mental illnesses in the U.S. And Richard, Richard No, who was about to get his doctorate, he purely had psychoanalytic training in grad school. So this overhaul of psychology terms was a huge change for people like him. And a lot of them were mad about it. A new category of dissociative disorders was added and dissociating was the most popular psychiatry term in the 80s. At the same time, many mental health professionals believed in a conspiracy of satanic cults. Like you guys, a lot was happening in this mental health community at the time. Satanic panic. And Richard Noll thought it would be the perfect time to integrate all of his psychiatry and cultural elements into his book where he relied heavily on the dissociation metaphor to reframe conditions that were thought to be supernatural. So when I say the dissociation metaphor, metaphor he used it in the like 80s way of like doubling as a descriptive term for splitting as well as a self-defense mechanism. So essentially... What he did. So, is, are we talking like dissociative identity disorder when you say splitting? No, they basically would kind of split from reality, essentially. Okay, so not not like splitting inside. Well, I'm confused. For, I have BPD, so in splitting, what we call it is where you kind of just become a different person, lose touch with reality a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes so, sense. Null used all of the new DSM speak in order to create an entire DSM-3 mental disorder based on Renfield from Dracula. The book was published in 92 and it really did well for the publisher. He even successfully got Frank Putnam, who was the director of the Dissociative Disorders Research Unit at the National Institute of Mental Health, to contribute a publicity blurb. So guys, that blurb alone gave so much credibility to his fake diagnosis. Like, how on earth did that occur? Like nobody said, hey, maybe we shouldn't make this fake illness and publish it. But who am I? I'm definitely not the guy who's in charge of the National Institute of Mental Health. Anyway, Noel continued on as normal. And then one day, two years later in 94, he got a call from someone who was working on the NBC Halloween special and they invited him to be on it. He declined, however, because he just got a job lecturing at Harvard, and he did not want to ruin his professional life with his fake made-up disorder. Aww. He even told them verbatim that it was a joke, and he made it up, and it was not real. But they wanted to move forward. So he got his friend Leonard George to go on the show instead of him. His friend specialized as a psychologist in schizophrenia, like he was a schizophrenia researcher. And he went down that entire fake DSM-like checklist for Renfield syndrome in such a serious manner that people around the world, like they 
bought it. They, they thought it was real. And that was kind of like the start of Renfield syndrome moving about pop culture. As and this though, is in 1994. Yeah. And wow. then here's the real gag. What was happening in the 90s? The Internet. So Ooh. just as Renfield syndrome was becoming popular on TV, the Internet made it take off. Like on all of those like discussion boards and just places where people would commune, Renfield syndrome became a hit. Rachel Knoll says that he has been contacted over the years by many, many people who self-identify as vampires and participate in a subculture of consensual blood drinking. I told you, they literally, they drink blood and they role play. And a lot of them reach out to say that they found a new sense of self-identity from his psychiatric diagnosis. I mean, I'm not judging. I think... It sounds fun. Blood gives me the creeps. As someone who, like, handles blood... Every day, um, I mean, I have glove or I have gloves on, PP, all that stuff. Blood freaks me out, though. Are th- they're drinking other people's blood or their own? I didn't look into that, but I'm assuming since it said consensual blood drinking, they're probably not drinking their own blood because you know, oh. consensual kind of implies. Please get tested for things before you. Um, I'd assume let they probably drink your have blood. rules, right? Rules and regulations? I don't know. It sounds a little spooky to me, but I think blood is cool. Do I paint with my own blood? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Would I drink someone else's? No. I don't even like to touch other people's. If I get it on my gloves, I freak out. I don't love the taste of blood. I don't think it's something I would drink. I wouldn't. What was it? Yuck someone's yum, though. How often do you taste blood? Like, if I bite my tongue or something? It's just not the vibe. It's got like an irony, coppery taste. Yeah, it's not ideal. But the interesting thing that Noel himself wrote about was the fact that for decades, his fake mental illnesses began racking up literal citations in peer-reviewed journals. He talks about an article in the Journal of the History of Neurosciences, which laid out a proper working definition of Renfield syndrome. He wasn't too happy with the attention this diagnosis was getting from other academics, due to the fact that it made him feel as though all it took for people to validate concepts of mental disorders in our culture was for it to spread across social media. And everything that I just said came directly from Noel's 2013 Halloween presentation at Penn State, where he essentially outed himself and debunked Renfield syndrome himself. However, even while I was doing this research, I did find a lot of scholarly articles citing the diagnosis of Renfield syndrome. So knowing literally everything we do about the clinical diagnosis of vampirism that many spout as fact, why would people have a strong tendency to believe it? Well, let's look into the history of vampirism and some examples of people who not only believe they were vampires, but also drank blood, question mark. I mean, quote unquote, they drank blood. It, it was said by other people that they did. But do we know? We'll find out. I mean, there's rumors that some people in society today rub blood all over their faces. I can see that happening. I oh, mean, I think it does. Yeah, because that's they, like down a very deep rabbit hole. They might be basing it on Elizabeth Bathory herself, who you'll see why. But but there's apparently some people, like very rich people. This is completely non-factual. But apparently, some rich people like to rub other people's blood on their faces to keep them young. That's kind of what Elizabeth Bathory believed. They might literally be getting that from her. You'll hmm. see. Um, it's, I'm interested. At least that is alleged what she believed. Everything I say is alleged. So one important question that we must answer, because I know we're all thinking it. 
is, um, is it safe to drink blood? Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. No. Yes. What? Well, yes and no, I guess. Yes, but if you have a little of it here and there, it's fine. If you drink too much, you can actually get yourself really, really sick because of iron. There's a lot of iron in blood and too much iron can lead to hemochromatosis, which can be fatal if it isn't treated. Or, you know, just don't, I don't know, you could get a disease. You can also drink piss. Like the amount of... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can, but should you is the Urine question. is not sterile. Yeah, it's not. That's a complete myth. And don't, when people say urine is sterile, think about it, guys. What can, constitutes a sterile environment? Like, what's sterile? And then once you can define that, go back to urine and you'll see why it's not. Anyway, we work in a lab and the amount of precautions you have to take when handling blood is insane. Like, you literally have to treat everything as though it is contaminated. And Thank it's you. still, I mean, even then it's still risky. Like I've been laughed at before because your girl wears a face shield whenever I am pipetting blood. Um, but for good reason. It's like, just a little bit dramatic in the lab, but I, I get it. <laughs> coming from where some people, I guess, used to mouth pipette back in the day, uh, it's a little far-fetched for me to wear my face shield, but I'm doing it. Nothing splattering on his face. I think the most unbelievable part of vampires, Tell not me. you know, apart from everything else, turning into a bat. No, they're just raw dogging life and like drinking other people's blood. No blood tests, nothing. Unless they can smell the disease, you're gonna just bite into someone, just random person you just met. I wonder if animals. Sorry, this is a side note because let's say that one believed vampires were, existed back in the day. I don't know who this one would be. But let's say one believed that. You know how like some animals can smell and they can be like, oh, that's diseased. Not going to eat that. I wonder if like a person, like a vampire, could I could bite into your neck and be like, mm, that tastes a little, uh, a little raunchy. Like, you know how dogs can smell cancer and like, you know, they can sense when your blood sugar levels yeah. are oh, off. Oh, yeah. 
I'm thinking maybe vampires theoretically would have had to have this built in yeah. diagnosis function. I don't think it's that far fetched. Because did you just bite into a random person you just met? No. I don't even want to shake every person's I don't want to shake. You never hands. raw dog someone you just met as far as drinking you know <laughs> <laughs> You don't raw dog their blood. We don't want to tell you I'm not gonna We're tell not gonna, you. You, know. you can raw dog anything else in life. Yeah. Just don't raw dog their blood. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Take that advice. James, if that's too much, cut it out, friend. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> but back to famous people who allegedly practice vampirism in history. Our lovely Countess Elizabeth Bathory is probably the most famous. And honestly, it's so fascinating that she deserves her own deep dive. Her story is one that is haunted by sensationalism. It's said that she was the most prolific female serial killer, having slain 600 young women in her castle. The legend of Elizabeth... Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say having slain yeah. 600 young women? Yeah. Like dead. To, to death. Elizabeth. Allegedly. Allegedly, there may have been some political falling out, some tension that may or may not have led to her being vilified. I just looked With up some pictures. I just looked up pictures of our girl Elizabeth, and I don't think the blood did her any favors. No, damn, damn. <laughs> okay, well, maybe she looked worse, Unless and the blood the, helped. The painters just really had it out for her. Do we have like a before and after? Like before using blood as an anti aging agent, like you know how skincare companies do before after. Do we have one of those? That would be helpful here to really sell it. But um, the legend of Elizabeth skin does look smooth. It does look Sorry, smooth. It does look smooth. It just doesn't. She doesn't look pleasant. Now, correlation and causation. We need to dig into that. Like, do you do we think it was the blood or could she just have had some good skincare routine? If you want, I can try it out. I will not be providing <laughs> blood. But if you can find someone, you're up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So the legend of Elizabeth says that she believed that bathing in virgin blood would grant her eternal youth. That is the legend. So they had to be a virgin. Yes. And before we get into everything that Bathory has been accused of, we do have to address the fact that researchers are now finding more and more proof in the argument that her crimes were greatly exaggerated in a smear campaign against her. With that said, let's get into what the smear campaign was. Bathory was born into a wealthy dynasty in 1560 where they controlled Transylvania, which, guys, I don't know what was happening in Romania, but Transylvania was wilding because guess who else that we were going to talk about was from Romania, Transylvania area? Who? Vlad the Impaler. Ooh. Yeah. So at the end, I think vampires, I think Romania, Transylvania. Yeah. I don't know why Romania is such a hardcore like vampire central but are y'all good over there if anyone's from romania just i'm here for it i wouldn't fuck with you <laughs> right <laughs> okay so at the age of 405 bathory suffered from seizures mood swings and painful migraines at age six she watched a public execution and servants around her were routinely beaten at 13 she got engaged to an 18 year old from another hungarian family and two years later, they were married and they had four children together over the course of their relationship. Oh, she was a baby. She was. And the man that she married, oh boy, guys, he really had a penchant for um, things on a little bit more of the kinkier side. Does she kill him? 
No, but his name was Nadasti, and he taught his wife about many, many forms of torture. He's said to have had a girl restrained, lathered in... Guys, this is going to be a little bit gross, so skip ahead if it's going to bother you, but it's really not great. He had her restrained, lathered in honey, and ravaged by insects for his wife's pleasure. He also gifted his wife spiked gloves so that she could use it to hit her servants when they did wrong, or she thought they did wrong. It is also said that her aunt Clara introduced her to orgies and a group of people that were very, very into the occult. Could you imagine? I have a lot of, we all have the crazy aunt. I think I'm the crazy aunt. But can you imagine your aunt introducing you to your first orgy? I would not be cool with that. I don't think I have that type of relationship with anyone of my own. I love all my aunts, but like, come on, what? Like the occult thing, I mean, I'm the aunt that would probably <laughs> show someone some Yeah, like you take them into a, a, a spooky store, you introduce them to a cult. But not um, the orgy thing. A uh, little bit, mm, you know. So anyway, in 1604, when her husband died, Bathory moved to Kaktish Castle. And this is where her brutality really excelled. So the um, spiked gloves, that was just nothing. I was like, eh. yeah, you know, it was a blip just, on the radar. Yeah, it was the probably the least in the, the most humane part of her. Oh, those poor servants. It was not just servants. And you'll see why. Like the reason why she got caught is she didn't just stick to servants. Um, Bothry was have she was said to have tortured her victims with severe beatings, burning or mutilation of hands, <laughs> freezing or starving to death. Victims would be covered in honey and live on ants or burned with hot thongs and then placed in freezing water. I cannot say the word tongs. Tongs. Not <laughs> thongs, you guys, but that also would be we torturous. Know what you, <laughs> burn with thongs. <laughs> that would almost be worse. It really would fit the... It would fit. It would, yeah, I would believe it. Like, um, I looked at you like... Which one is it? Because I don't know with Elizabeth. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe both. It is also said, oh, this one's really bothers. Uh, It's also said that she stuck needles into her victim's lips or body parts, stabbing them with scissors or biting off their breasts, faces, and limbs. Guys, you can't see me right now, but I'm holding onto my areolas for dear life. (laughs) Oh, that hurts me. Yeah, this whole thing was very, I was, I was writing this at like 2 a.m. I was not loving it. Oh. It was also rumored that she enjoyed drinking and bathing in the blood of virgins. The rumor says that she developed the penchant for blood after she slapped a servant in rage. And the spot where her blood dropped appeared to her to be more youthful. The stories concerning her vampiric tendencies, though, were only recorded after her death and therefore they're unreliable because after people die, other people might try to slander, you know, smear campaigns. It happens all the time. But with the stories that were going around, even without the vampiristic tales, it painted her in a terrible light to the people around her. The locals hid their daughters from her so that they wouldn't be drafted into her service because of how brutal the stories of her treatment of her servants were. So was it only her female servants, only her ladies? Well, yeah, a lot of virgins to be more youthful. Essentially, maybe she was trying to rob them of their, you Men know. can be virgins. Yeah, but she probably 
didn't have a lot of male servants because nobility typically, you know. Yeah, like ladies serve ladies, I suppose. Do, did the ladies serve the men too? Probably. But the thing is, typically with nobility is if you have male servants that got a little um, inappropriate with a female noble and she were to get impregnated, that would be... You would be, just say it was from the king. Yeah, but that would tarnish their line of nobility and their succession. So, so they, they wouldn't... kept the men away. Right. So typically throughout history, men in power would have females who serve them, but women in power would not. Like, if you look towards, I guess, the Ottoman Empire, they would, like, have eunuchs around the women. Oh, shit. That way, there would be no surprise babies, you know, for succession reasons. Because it's already messy. Why make it messier? And history is <laughs> fucked. But the locals hit their daughters from her so that she, they would not go work for her because of the brutal stories of her treatment of her servants. And things only got worse when she started treating other nobles with the same abuse. Ooh. In that time, harming or killing servants wasn't illegal. It was probably frowned upon. They would give her a strange look, but it was allowed. However, the major mistake was killing other nobles, even lesser nobles. That was something that couldn't be ignored. So in 1610, an investigation was launched into the suspicious deaths and disappearances at Bathory's castle by Matthias, who was the second, like he was the king of Hungary, Matthias II. So... You know how screwed up you have to be to get the literal king to investigate you? Like, I feel like kings have more important things to do. If I were the king, I would not want to be investigating this random noble for murder. You know? I don't know. Maybe that'd just be me. I'd be the king that's like, only come to me if the entire nation yeah, is on fire. Surely he would appoint someone to investigate it for him. I would if I were a king. <laughs> but the investigation did lead to her arrest for the murder of 80 young women. However, she was never convicted and her husband was already dead, so they can punish him. I want to know how he died. I don't know. I think he just might have died. People died relatively from anything I mean, back yeah, then. Back in the day, you could have cut your finger and you're a goner. The really interesting part, though, is four of her servants were convicted of violence against young women in her castles. And she wasn't. And then she remained locked in jail until she died at 54 in 1614. So she was only in prison for like four years, honestly, before she died. So, eh, I guess she got off pretty easy in comparison to the people she might have killed. I can't find out how her husband died. Maybe they don't know. People just died all the time for no reason. Well, there were reasons, but you know what I'm saying. So I know we're all thinking it, but since there were eyewitnesses and she was arrested, how can people claim that she may not have been that bad? Well, it's now believed that Bathory did commit crimes, but they were exaggerated due to conspiracies by relatives and the Habsburgs. The king, Matthias II, was said to owe a large debt to Bathory, and so he would have greatly benefited from her death. In addition, she was seen by him as a political threat who might have supported her cousin to challenge his control of Western Hungary. So no, the Countess was more than likely not a vampire. She probably was just a woman who enjoyed torture. And it just got a little bit out of hand, you know, like... A little? Tad. A tad. 600 bodies? That could be exaggerated. She only got convicted for 80. Even uh, 80? 
I mean, it's not great by any means, but we do have to rule out vampire. Also, her husband, um, I don't know how to say his name, Baranik. I had a different name on my end, but yeah. Really? This says Farinik Nasdasty. Yeah, that's, that's the name I had. Nasdasty. 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 Yeah, the Black Knight of Hungary. Okay, so he died of a mysterious and sudden illness in the middle of a battle. The disease which killed Count Farinik Nasdasty is still unknown. See? Suffered a disease of the lower limbs for two years before succumbing to the illness. See, people just died. I bet she was poisoning his eyes. You think? She liked her husband, though. They did the torture together. Oh, it was like an Adams family, like. The Adams family are actually so wholesome. Don't slander them. I love the Adams family, but I'm saying it's them against the world. Maybe. Maybe. Because he did introduce her to torture. He was like, let me show you the world. And the world was just his sex dungeon. That would make a good book. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Spicy book. Okay. I'm just kidding. Next up on this list for the spicy book is Dracula <laughs> himself. <laughs> Yay. Woo. The one and only Vlad the Impaler of Wallachia. Vlad III was a prince-like military leader of Wallachia, which was a principality that joined with Moldavia in 1851 to form Romania. He was a brutal leader that is estimated to have killed more than 80,000 people in his lifetime, with a large number of them being... Impaled. I mean, that guy was nuts. And I'm sure he didn't 80, personally. 80,000. He didn't personally um, impale every, all 80,000. But he did have an army because he was, you know, military leader. And they did some of the most gruesomely fucked up things I have ever read. I Describe impalement. It's where you stick. Something into someone. On, stick an object into someone. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Um, you'll see what he did. It's not the best. He was very cruel, but the news of his cruelty spread far and wide due to the printing press. His enemies literally made pamphlets of propaganda against him and then sent them out. I bet that pissed him off. That's like the 15th century equivalent of a Twitter thread. That's like attacking someone like oh my god guess what <laughs> ad vlad the impaler xx69 did yesterday vlad was canceled <laughs> like i have never hated anyone enough to print out a pamphlet but that is my go-to next time someone crosses me that's a whole other level of pettiness that i want to take part in just buy like a newspaper article and be like guess what this person did to me i'm gonna start slandering gabby Throughout history, royals across the world were notorious for incest. They married their own relatives in order to consolidate power and keep their blood blue. But they were oblivious to the havoc all this inbreeding was having on the health of their offspring. From Egyptian pharaohs marrying their own sisters to the Habsburgs' notoriously oversized lower jaws. I explore the most shocking incestuous relationships and tragically inbred individuals in royal history. And that's just episode one. 
On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Join me every Tuesday for new episodes of the History Tea Time podcast, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do it. <laughs> you can't say anything I haven't already said. So interestingly enough, even with Vlad's brutality, he is remembered as a national hero in Romania for defending his people from foreign invasion, which history isn't clean. And many, many countries on Earth have had leaders in history who have done some terrible, awful things in order to protect their own people. So we can't really judge because their hero is their hero, as we have a lot of sketchy heroes ourselves. It, it's just life, culture, the times. Vlad got the nickname Dracula because of his father, Vlad II. The year that he was born, his father got into the Order of the Dragon, which was a Christian military society founded in 1408 by Sigismund. That sounded super cool. It was. When you were like, Order of the Dragon. And then I was like, that sounds so cool. And then he said, which was a Christian military. And then I was like, is that as cool? Um, nothing against religion whatsoever. Like, I'm religious. But you it doesn't sound as cool. Well, you have to understand it is pretty cool because essentially there was so much turmoil between like fighting between the Ottomans and Sigismund's faction and another faction. It was kind of cool because. What is Sigismund? He's one of the leaders. Oh, OK. Yeah. Vlad II was given the name Dracul or dragon and therefore his son was named Dracula or a son of the dragon. And that's where that came from. Yeah, because essentially Vlad's dad in the Order of the Dragon, they were sworn to protect the country and stop Ottoman expansion. But Vlad's dad, Vlad II, um, he betrayed them. Uh, yeah, he betrayed those dragons and kind of joined up with the Ottoman and, you know, made himself a partner to the Sultan, which mean, meant that he had to give his two sons, Vlad III and a son named Radu, to the Ottomans. And they had to live in the Ottoman court. Now, while Vlad was in the Ottoman court and he was living with, you know, the Ottomans, his father was actually killed and his older brother was blinded and then buried alive because you play these games of betrayal and war and it's people trying to protect their country and then you betrayed the people trying to protect their country. Um, Essentially, they will find you and if they do, it won't be pretty. The brother didn't do anything, I don't think. Why did he have to get got? Because typically if you have sons that might try to carry out your legacy, they're going to kill everyone. And that's why Vlad had to turn evil 
Because he had to outdo the doers. Well, it's not certain whether everything he did was revenge. But once he was released, he began setting things in motion for his fight for power because he wanted to be the guy, you know, yep. the guy. <laughs> so in 1448, Vlad took the throne of Wallachia at just 16 years old. With help from the Ottomans, he overthrew the current leader who had replaced his father, a man by the name of Vladislav II. But two months later, Vlad himself was overthrown and Vladislav was reinstated. That is so confusing. Vlad it, and Vladislav? It gets more confusing. Um, Vlad went into exile and during this time, he somehow switched sides away from the Ottomans and he got the support of Hungary. So this happened in the span of his eight-year exile and we have no idea, we have no records of what happened because he just switched sides. All we know is he came back and he was no longer an Ottoman ally so he went back to the original yeah he went to hungary his father was on to begin with so essentially he sided with i guess sigismund who was hungry hungary decided wasn't that the side that his father was on in the beginning order the dragon sigismund said okay sorry guys i am not stickui this is dense this is what you get (laughs) (laughs) but In the span of eight years, he switched sides. But Vladislav, in his time, had also changed alliances and he joined the Turks. Oh, God. So the two men, Vladislav II and Vlad III, met up in Targoviste on July 22nd, 1456, where young Dracula beheaded Vladislav and became the ruler. Can we get a huzzah? Huzzah! I don't know. I feel bad. Somebody died, but, you know. Someone dies every day. So everything gets better now, right? Vlad is in power. Peace reigns. I bet he becomes like a stand-up guy and he's like the best ruler. Right. Um, If creating the reign of terror makes you the best ruler, then yay, he was the best ruler. So from everything that we've described, it's clear to see that Wallachia was very unstable. Um, The constant fighting between the Ottomans and the Hungarians led to political instability from the nobility that kept switching back and forth in, su- in support of one side or the other. Crime ran rampant as there was no sense of safety or stability at all. So Vlad's first order of business was to solve crime and stabilize the country. So in order to create a government that was loyal to him, he didn't go with nobles. He didn't go with locals. He went with commoners and even foreigners, which was a strategy to ensure that they were not only loyal to him, but fully reliant on him. Super smart. So you're probably wondering what he did to the old nobles. Well. Here's um, some of that brutality that got him the whole Dracula title. Um, The old nobles that had murdered his father and brother were all invited to a grand Easter banquet in 1459. And their entire families were invited. And they, you know, they come to his little castle. They're in for a good time. It's like the Red Wedding, isn't it? At which point he had the women and the elderly stabbed to death and impaled. I knew it. While the men were forced into slave labor, labor that he used to build Ponari Castle, which was one of his favorite homes. Yay, new home. He does love to impale. He he really did. Um, But the work was so tiring that many of the men died from exhaustion. So all of these nobles were then replaced by the Viteshi, which was a military division made up by farmers who were exceptional at battle, and the Sluji, which was basically a form of national guard. Vlad also freed all the Wallachian peasants from having to pay tribute to the Ottomans. While he did make things better for his people, he was still brutal to them, however. He exterminated homeless people and beggars by inviting them to a feast and then locking the doors and burning them 
alive. What the absolute fuck? The Romani people by forcefully conscripting them into the military. And he placed heavy taxes on the German people in the country. These German people were Saxons who were German migrants who settled in Transylvania. And he saw them as enemies. The Saxon village of Kronstadt was it supported arrival of his one one time. And he responded by having 30,000 people impaled. And it says that while um, they were being brutally murdered, he was dining to witness it all himself in person. Then he burned Kronstadt to the ground. Due to actions like this, he was given the name Tepes. So Vlad Tepes, a.k.a. Vlad the Impaler. Was he just evil to everybody? Is that just, that's just Vlad? I think with so much back and forth fighting and double crossing, the only way to hold power was to be terrifying. Yep. And guys, it actually gets worse because Vlad opposed the Turks and his tactics against them were brutal. Once Mehmed II sent tribute to Vlad with 10,000 ducats and 300 young boys. When these diplomats refused to remove their turbans due to religious reasons, he had the turbans nailed to their heads. In 1462, Mehmed II decided to advance on Wallachia. To counter this, Vlad conducted a series of night raids and collected 23,000 prisoners and their families, who he then impaled and displayed along the enemy's route of advancement. So guys, what I'm describing right now is super horrifying, so skip ahead. French historian Matei Kazaku said, There were infants affixed to their mothers on the stakes and birds made nests in their entrails. <gasps> the entire thing was so horrifying, but it worked. Mehmed II saw this and turned right around and marched back home. Like, can you imagine you're marching what? on someone and 23,000 people, women, children, men, babies, toddlers, all impaled along the trail? Like, do you remember in Game of Thrones, um, if you guys have seen it. Spoiler. The, oh, yeah. Spoiler. This is like from season two. Who hasn't Still, seen it, y'all? Spoiler. You're but about to talk about Ned Stark, ain't you? They essentially um, impaled a bunch of people. And as the enemy was walking by, they just had to look at all of these people impaled. Like, imagine that, but 23,000. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around shit like that. Like, I know it happened, but... I'm a, I'm, I'm so soft and fragile in babies, babies. Yeah, he did some stuff. But even with his efforts, the Turks still prevailed as Bla- Vlad's brother Radu has started gaining power and support from Wallachian nobles. I thought he died. No, his older brother died. But only Vlad and Radu went to the Ottomans. Oh, right, right, right. So Radu convinced the nobles that if they sided with the Ottomans, they would have their power reinstated. And by 1462, Vlad was taken prisoner by Matthias I. He was in prison for 12 years. And in 1475, Matthias I sent Vlad to regain control of Wallachia for Hungary. But after an initial victory in 1476, Vlad was defeated and Ottoman troops beheaded him, where allegedly his head was sent to Mehmed II in order to be displayed above the city's gates, which... That's what I do to my enemies. Totally reasonable, right? I hope you guys could sense the sarcasm. But his story didn't end there. Instead of being forgotten, he became immortalized as the Dracula. The thing about Vlad is he would have been completely forgotten by history. But in 1820, a book by William Wilkinson, the British consul to Wallachia, was published. 
It was called An Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldova with various political observations relating to them. That is a mouthful. Yeah. And it talked about the history and it mentioned Vlad the Impaler. Bram Stoker, the creator of Dracula, came across this book in 1890 and he wrote, Dracula in Wallachian language meant devil. Now, Stoker drew on many different sources for inspiration when writing Dracula, but he also had inspiration from many other sources. Stoker himself said that his story was inspired by the idea of someone being buried alive before they were fully dead, which it comes Happened from the cholera the outbreak. Brother. I'm going to write about that, but at certain points when people had diseases that they wanted to control, they would try to get rid of them. Um, I thought they would just burn them. That too. There was a lot of stuff. But before we leave off on this episode, I would like to explore the concept of how vampires came to be. It's believed that the idea of the modern day vampire, the one that has fangs, drinks blood, and can't see themselves in mirrors, all come from various European beliefs that are all smushed into one. So let's look at some of these. The core belief is that the dead, even though they're buried, could still harm the living. And a lot of these legends came from the lack of knowledge when it came to the decomposition of bodies. So as a corpse breaks down, things like teeth and fingernails appear longer because the flesh is rotting away around it. So people who would dig up a grave would say, oh, my God, their teeth grew. They have fangs. They have claws, essentially. And in addition, internal organs break down, causing a dark liquid to leak from the mouth and the nose, which people looking at a dead person decomposing would go, oh, my God, they were drinking blood. And that's why they put those little cage thingies on some graves. Like, just in case you come back, we're going to put a cage around your head so you can't bite anybody. They did that and a few other things. Um, another huge factor in the development of the vampire myth was that people didn't understand the spread of disease. So we can actually track throughout Europe. Every time vampires got super, super popular, it was right around the time of a disease outbreak. And they kind of tied the spread of disease to vampires feeding, which makes sense if you think about it. We can track this by looking at the spread of illness and the fear of vampires through time. In fact, there are vampire burials in different parts of Europe. For instance, a skull was unearthed in Venice where bricks were placed in its mouth in order to keep the vampire in its grave and to starve it because if it can't move its jaw, it can't feed. And Why did I just feel sad for a fake vampire? Because, you know, I mean, that was an actual person. Body, yeah. Yeah. They did some not great things to people. It, it makes sense, though, because when people are experiencing something awful, they look for an answer. Yeah. And vampires were the answer. And the other people were already dead. So I guess you can look at it that way. In northern Germany, the Noxerer, or after devourers, were a vampire that stayed in the ground, but they were said to chew on their burial shells which again references the possibility of the purge fluid causing the shroud to look like a corpse was chewing on it. But these vampires were thought to be the most active during plague out outbreaks. And it was written that people believed they could be stopped by stuffing the mouth of the body with soil, taking away its ability to chew. Even with members of the church doing their best to renounce the existence of vampires, plagues and superstitions continued to fuel the belief. People were so afraid of vampires that they made up rituals in order to counter them. One example is of Mercy Brown of Rhode Island. And this is in the U.S. now because vampires literally traveled yeah. from Europe with everyone to the United States. And in 1892, when she died of tuberculosis, 
Her brother was sick. The woman in the town thought that either Mercy or her already deceased mother and sister were harming him. So they dug up the grave and found the quote-unquote blood or purge fluid in her mouth and heart. So they decided to take it as a sign of vampirism. In order to counter this, they burned her heart and mixed the ashes in a potion for the young boy to drink. <gasps> because that's how they would counter vampires. They would burn the heart and make a liquid drink for the family member. or the- So the brother had to drink a concoction of his sister's heart ashes? Yes. That poor boy. If it makes you feel better, he die. Yay. What? What? It didn't work, of course. And he did die months later. Because, you know, it's the tuberculosis, you guys. But they didn't know that. That makes me really sad. That is is very sad. Many anti-vampire rituals like this exist. Michael Bell, a well-known folklorist, estimated there are 60 known examples of anti-vampire rituals between the 18th and 19th century in just New England. Historians believe that the spread of the vampire legend to varying parts of the U.S. came from myths based on the European vampires. Many New England vampires harmed victims without leaving the grave, just like the German Noxer. But the practice of cutting the heart out and burning it came from Romania. So we don't know for sure which origin of vampires influenced the New England and other parts of the United States. But we do know that no matter where the beliefs were practiced, it was driven by fear of disease and the desire to contain it. And guys, that was a whirlwind of content. I truly do go on and on. I could keep going about vampires. There was so much I wanted to put in here because there's so much more background on vampires, the development of the vampire myth, the expansion of the vampire myth. But I didn't want to bore everyone and it's Girl, actually super late. I'm ready for a part two. <laughs> I will definitely, I, did, I do want to make a part two because I want to dig really far into exactly how vampires spread and developed and then got stoked by pop culture in more recent oh, years. Oh, I love spooky season. It's a pretty good time. Even though this was more gruesome and less spooky, like I'm living for it. I know. I'm sorry, you guys, because I don't do spooky super well because I tend to not be scared by it. So I don't know what is going to gauge it. She doesn't think it's real. I think some things are real. I'm not a total non-believer. I do believe in some things and I've seen some things. Shun the non-believer. My thing is usually to lean towards what I can explain. And I can explain that the vampire myths were fueled by some gruesome, gory Gory stuff. Seeing isn't believing, Gabby. Also, back Believing home, is seeing. Our vampires are called sukunyas, essentially, and they're flaming balls of fire that fly across the sky and leave you covered in bruises the next day. And, oh my God, was I terrified of these things as a kid because for some reason there was flaming balls of fire in my neighborhood. Um, don't know what those were. Don't want to think about it too hard. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, really. But please email us and let us know your vampire stories and beliefs. If you guys have a regional version of a vampire like I do, let me know. We would love to hear about it. The email is mysteryofeverythingpod at gmail.com. And it will be linked in the description. Follow us on our Instagram, Mystery of Everything Pod. And look out for our Patreon, which we will be launching soon with lots of new content. I bet it'll probably be called Mystery of Everything Pod, but no promises. And we will definitely put things on there that we typically, it'll probably be more conspiracy theory leaning stuff that we don't want to just like, you know. 
Things published. that we might get canceled for. <laughs> that is not a direct quote. That is not what that is I for. I kid, I kid. Oh my God. But I'm just teasing. Thank you guys for listening and have a good rest of your day. And if you see something spooky, um, run away. And if you don't run away, record it and send it to us. I really thought you were going to say, if you see something, say something, which is basically what <laughs> you said. If you see something, say something. And say it with a video to our email. So we can see it too. (laughs) Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details